And we are live with our 84th episode of Absolute AppSec. I am Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back. Uh, as you can see this week, we are joined by our own brains, apparently. Because <laughs> we don't have... <laughs> But uh, there, there was some back and forth on whether or not we were actually going to do an episode, given that uh, we didn't have a guest lined up. Uh, but I, like I, I don't know, Ken and I like to get together and talk about uh, AppSec topics anyway, uh, hence the reason we started the whole podcast. I think originally we were only going to do guests every couple of episodes, if that, and it's turned into more, there's a lot of people to talk to and a lot of interesting things, that are interesting stuff that, that's out there, so... Anyway, we're back this week, um, and I will be at B-Side San Francisco next week doing the code review workshop. Uh, if you're going to be at the workshop, bring a code base with you. That's the whole idea. Uh, we're not going to do a full training of the secure code review framework and process, but we want to talk about, or we actually want to dig into code bases. That's the whole idea behind the workshop. So um, other than that, uh, Come join us at Black Hat, right, Ken? That's, uh, we'll be teaching the, our secure code review course. Come join us at Black Hat. Oh. <laughs> right? Um, Ken's looking at yeah, links and yeah. stuff that he wants to talk about later. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, nope, you're fine. Uh, Black Hat, we are going to be teaching uh, next level bug hunting, uh, the code edition, where we'll be digging into source code and how we find bugs. Um, it's a special edition of our secure code review course. Love everybody to be there. If you're going to be at Black Hat, please consider us. Um, otherwise, I don't think there's a lot else on the, on the radar um, outside of, you know, the traditional locomoco sec uh, bagging that I'm going to take this week. So let's start. Yeah. No, I would never do that to you. That's not very nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, we, we can probably just begin? jump straight into it. Yeah, exactly. Where, which I, one I do you want to begin with? Uh, past guests. Uh, let's talk about Julian. Um, like, he's got... Uh, he's moving, so he's no longer going to be in Australia. Julian Burton, who's been on the show, and is a good friend of ours, uh, he runs AppSec Day in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, you've probably heard about it if you've been on the podcast in the, or if you've listened to the podcast in the past. Um, sounds like he's moving to, we haven't talked to him you know, directly about this, but he's moving to San Francisco, starting a, taking a new job. But one of his achievements before he's left was open sourcing Listo. Um, and checklists are near and dear to our hearts as pen testers and as secure code reviewers. And so I'm, I'm excited to try this out. Uh, Ken, are you going to post that link up there? I sure am. Sure is. There's a Medium post um, detailing what Listo is all about. Um, sounds like it's used by Seek, the company that uh, Julian used to work for, um, for, to help prevent risks when building software, right? It's just a, basically a list of checklists and things that they have to do and have to apply to... Uh, any code basis as they're going out. So, you know, hey, there's some RFCs or tools and other things. Um, but it's also like, it sounds like it's um, uh, it's built on Go SDL that came out of Slack. And I know we've had discussions on that in the past, right? 
um, but um, adds just the ability to automate creation of those checklists. Um, I know it does it within Trello, I think, is the... Yeah, that's what I was reading, actually. Yeah, that it <laughs> um, automatically will check, check off the requirements within the Trello board and that... Um, that basically like uh, they've got a, a list of to go alongside with that. They've got a list of internal paved. We call it paved path. They've said internal paved road, whatever, same thing um, for which is like uh, dependencies and um, like authorization sidecars and things like that. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely yeah. I can see it, see, see it as being useful. Right. Um, I, I mean, I'd be interested in digging in and actually applying it to something like GitHub or something else, like an issues list, um, you know. But I know a lot of people use Trello boards for those checklists. And I always think about it, too, as I'm doing the, the code review stuff, because one of the things we do in the code review course is we talk through the building of checklists, right? So I've got an application. I've got, like, a risk profile of that application, like what I think is risky, and then I'm going to check off a whole bunch of vulnerabilities and um know, possible exploits or possible vulnerabilities based on what that risk profile looks like. So it'd be fairly easy to automate the building of those checklists based on, you know, kind of what we what we go through and what our baseline is using right. something like Listo, right? Or Go SDL or whatever else, right? Rather than just having, hey, here's my markdown file that's got an, an honest to God checklist on it, right? Of, <laughs> of items. So, yeah, well, I think what's cool about this is it produces a risk. So, this tool produces a risk score. Um, and then you like to do that, it, it follows some pretty, some pretty, um, like intuitive questions. I think from an AppSec perspective, like things you'd ask, like, are you using uh, a database? Do you have authorization? How are you, like, one of this shows, like, if you're doing authentication, um, how are you doing it? Are you, um, like, so this two questions they show as examples are we are only using preferred auth protocols and patterns stated within blah, 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 blah. And the other one's like, we are managing authentication secrets as per blah, 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 blah. And like, so you have these various options to then kind of like decide, um, you know, what, what's this application, what technology is this application using? Uh, how is it, is it using paved paths, paved roads, whatever you want to say when it's doing that? Um, yeah, those types of things to produce a risk score, which I, I think is like probably the most valuable piece of somebody who has to constantly prioritize which applications receive assessments. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like we've talked about this quite a bit, right? Like that's the whole, I, I mean, the, at the beginning of our, like our framework or, you know, our code review framework is figuring out the, what the risk profile looks like and, you know, codifying that for your organization is probably, is not probably it is a a solid thing to do to actually mature your program. Um, so if you're not doing it, you should look into it. I mean, it's just another tool that could be useful in that, along with Go SDL, along with you know the checklist that you you have internally and in spreadsheets and other things. But um, it'll help you push left for you know lack of a a different term or you know as the hipster kids say nowadays, right? You're on mute, Ken. <laughs> or Sorry, my Bluetooth kicked out again. Man, what's going yeah. on? Maybe I got low batteries or something. Um, yeah, yeah. 
No, I was just laughing at you using the word hipsters and the kids, the kids and the hipsters, as they say, pushing kids these days. Yes. Pushing left. Yeah. Um, Well, so like, honestly, congrats to him, but yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah. No. So where's he going? Do we know yet? I mean, I know he said he's moving. No, I haven't heard anything. I remember him saying when we were in Australia that he was going to, he was looking at, you know, um, he might relocate. He wasn't sure. So, which I, I hope AbSec Day does continue. I know you and I were talking about that. I think Dan Ting, who we had an impromptu at the conference podcast about, um, or with rather, he's, I think, possibly picking up the torch on that. So, not sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think he is. I, we should reach out, reach out and see how he's doing. Um, because yeah. he was like, he's a good guy, and it's overwhelming. Like, if you've ever organized a conference, you know that there's just so many moving pieces, and it's it's pretty much a thankless job for two to three days worth of uh, program, right? You know, the amount of time that you you put into something like that can be somewhat insane when it comes down to being one of the top organizers. So, well, you would know you talk to these folks all the time for Hacker Tracker. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. And I've got like, there's a bunch of other stuff coming up on Hacker Tracker too. I think besides Melbourne is going in as well as Colonel Con and Snowfrock. And there's a whole bunch of conferences going on. Like I'm starting, I'm getting to the point with Hacker Tracker where I wish I could go to all the conferences that they, you know, I'm like, "Ah, yeah, but there's just no way. Like it, it seems like it's every other week or something like that. There's a new conference we're loading in and that's all over the country, if not world. So. Should we mention and, that RSA is happening? RS what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. That that's that news for. I'm going to be I'm going to be at B-Side San Francisco, and then there is another conference that happens after that. I don't know. A bunch of guys in suit coats and ties. That if you have a quarter million dollars, you can get a keynote. Yeah, exactly. All right. Or you can you know pay for a. a a small table in the vendor area for something like, you know, 50 K, right. It's fine. Sounds <laughs> legit. Yep. Yeah. So that aside, other cool news, which Jerry Gamblin actually um, had posted this link in one of the mutual Slack chats we're all on. Um, I'll, I'll paste it. I thought it was super interesting and um, let me post this link. So this is about the CIA and their, go their involvement in the so i guess i think if if i read it correctly let me make sure i don't implicate germany yeah so that you don't implicate germany (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know right all of germany yeah (laughs) i'm bringing germany down on this podcast accidentally (laughs) yeah no so i guess so the cia uh in partnership with west german intelligence has been involved with for decades um, basically they, they secretly owned, or at least, yeah, I'm not sure. It's not clear to me if they owned the like entire company or, um, I think that that is the case, right? Like, uh, the company didn't know the people, the employees supposedly didn't know that they were working for obviously these intelligence agencies, uh, two intelligence agencies, but essentially what this company did crypto AG was it went and it developed for decades, you know, through, um, like equipment that rotated gears to 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 create ciphers and and you know build encryption de- like physical encryption devices to you know modern day sort of a crypto which is um, 
pretty uh, different. And also that's interesting because because of uh, how ubiquitous um, modern encryption technology is, that ultimately was kind of the downfall uh, of the company for like uh, lack of efficacy. But anyways, like, so these people have been developing these devices um, or software for a long, long time, for decades, selling it to their customers. Um, their customers are like nation states um, amongst other, I'm sure, I'm sure there were also like just regular companies and stuff like that, but yeah, definitely some um, nations that were um, buying this equipment. And so they were effectively just backdoored from the beginning. The engineers supposedly, like I said, didn't know, but these, yeah, like basically it's, it's been a way for code to be cracked um, and messages to be read and, for um yeah like more sort of over global surveillance overreach type stuff yeah and it doesn't it, surprise it, me right yeah it seems like it harkens back to the you know the cold war right for sure right everything starting in i mean the, the company itself was you know started in what 1940s is what it said something like that yeah. right yeah and then dang right that's i like this this has always been my suspicion right like I, I, and this always goes back to the the time that nsa came out about the uh about des right the digital encryption standard that the, you know the first big kind of like software encryption standard that was out there and once the once the academics had cracked it you know NSA actually came through and said, yeah, we've known this for a while. And look here, you can actually improve your efficiency of cracking by, you know, orders of magnitude if you do X, Y, and Z. So it's it, like, you know that, again, we, we, we talk about nation states, right? Um, and protecting against that threat, which like as a company, if you were using one of these products, like there, there's no protection against that, Right. Yeah. Well, that's why the employees feel like they had interviewed a couple of employees that were just like, I feel awful. I've been building this equipment, selling, you know, selling this equipment, giving this to people I thought I was helping. And the entire time, unbeknownst to me, it's backdoored. And also, so this brought up a few points, uh, like in the article, they brought up a couple of good points, which is like, the morality aspect of when there was in de like definitely situations where they're reading, you know, there had to be anyways, they're reading this. So there's two things. One is either a lack of action or just like, yeah, just ignoring um, when nations that are engaged in like ethnic cleansing and assassination plots and our country, like, knew that from reading messages and then like did we act on that like those are those are the types of questions like there are obviously horrible things going on clearly there were situations where we were reading messages knowing what was going on and when it was going to happen and had uh, you know how how was that the case did we decide to not act you know was it these are the questions that are a little bit difficult to ask and the the or to answer and the other one is like very, those are kind of more like maybe if and buts, right? But what we do know for certain is that these people were, the people that were selling this equipment and going around traveling, uh, they, and didn't know that what, what they were selling, they 100% were in danger, right? Like that's, there's no yeah. question. They, 
were at risk and they had no idea. So that's the other bit to that's that's. I mean, the whole thing is really interesting, but I think those two are some interesting points and questions that are gonna. Hopefully. Yeah, you you, t you talk about spycraft. Well, and this is like. I don't know. And this, this goes to security at large, not necessarily application security in general, but I've always thought like there, like there's the, you know, NSA, CIA, whatever, like a uh, branch that does um, Alcatel or whatever, like that investment firm, Incutel. <laughs> yeah. Incutel, I was going to say Alcatel. I, I, I used uh, to work on the switches and, and uh, when I was in the Navy. <laughs> no, no, that's not that. In Incutel. Which is basically, uh, you know, a fund for the government, like you know, these different agencies to fund startups, right? And mm -hmm. I've always thought that, like, if you were really practicing this and you were really looking at uh, things like observation, network traffic, uh, you know, crypto in general, like being able to actually view view communications. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if you had a bunch of these VPN providers that are, you know, specific to the government or actually owned by a government agency, like some sort of shady, it, just because information is power at this point, right? It's Well, yeah, and that's the thing is like on TV, they always show, you know, the hacker who's like got the, they've got like NMAP running or whatever, and then, uh, you know, they're profusely sweating and take a bite of some pizza and then they uh they're like i'm in i hacked the i've got past the firewall i got past this that and the other but i mean the reality of it is, is like yeah i honestly believe most software and devices are backdoored that's what mm -hmm. i think i, I that's 100 percent. like in my mind that's that's more more of a likely scenario and then in that case it's just a matter of you know what's the target what's the ip and you're in right it's not a it's not like some because think about it, what's the easy, is it really, is it, does it really make sense to sit there and like try and break through all these, you know, or, or even just launch a, launch a phishing campaign, you know, and hope that works out. Does it really make sense or does it just make sense if you're a nation state to just backdoor everything, software, encryption devices, like you said, own companies that are, you know, hopping points for traffic. Um, yeah, in my mind, it's like all pretty much compromised. <laughs> so, well, and I, I don't know. This always goes back to the, you know, the discussion we have about risk profiling things, right? Like, what what is it that you're trying to protect against? As okay, as an AppSec guy, like I'm sitting at my job, I've got like a product that I'm trying to secure. Like, it always comes down to how much, how many resources do you want to throw at something. And how secure do you need it to be, right? It, it's a cost-benefit analysis. Um, it's a business decision. And you can't get too hung up on the business deciding, hey, guess what? It doesn't make sense for us to buy that WAF, right? Because, uh, you know, the, the product that you're trying to protect is a public website. Doesn't take a lot of input, right? Like, you can help them. You can guide them down those sorts of decisions. But realistically, if a nation state is coming after you, right? A nation state is coming after you, and there's probably not a lot that you can do about it. I mean, we see this in, you know, WhatsApp, Facebook, you know, and like trying to get into China and other places. Uh, you see it in Google backing out of China, uh, right? Like, as you're fighting against somebody that has what equates to unlimited resources, 
you're never going to win that security battle, right? You just have to kind of pick the hill that you want to die on and and call it from there, right? Um, yeah, so here's I, a question. I, I feel like that's kind of a nihilistic view of things, but <laughs> I don't think that you can really. I don't. I've always felt like you can't protect against a nation state in the same way that you can protect against, uh, you know criminals, right? Threat actors that are on the criminal level that are trying to exploit data or sell data, something along those lines. So what were you going to ask? Do you think that, um, like keeping the, the tinfoil hat on, do you, do you think that, uh, nation states have employees inside of major companies like Google, Facebook, et cetera, um, to then like get, get access to data that they, like that's always been something I, that, that goes on in the back of my mind is like, do these companies, you know, have, have folks, that, you know, like employed by a nation state. Uh, I, I would yeah. be surprised if there wasn't. Right. Right. Yeah. That's what I think. I, I, I mean, like, like, like take the, the flip scenario. I, I mean, I know we want to, you know, think that Google and Facebook are, you know, this great, you know, whatever, like their secure organization, but you, you look at the number of people that they hire from a technical perspective. Um, they come from all over the world. They have offices all over the world. It wouldn't be hard to get an asset in there or, you know, there's always somebody that's struggling. It's, it, I mean, that's basic kind of like, I, I know this is taking a weird, ta- a weird turn for absolute absence. Yeah. Let's go. Let's get weird. It's Tuesday. Let's get weird. <laughs> but it's, uh, like, I, I know you're talking, you know, we're talking almost like spycraft, but at the same time, it's information gathering, right? Like, we know that the NSA has has data centers where they're storing internet data and combing through it, right? Like, that, that is known. So what, what would be the harm in their perspective or in their view of tapping a resource internal to an organization, right? Or yeah, I guess inserting, a point. inserting a resource internal to an organization, especially if it wasn't here in the states. Uh, like you know, there's you know, there's certain. Well, yeah, because that's what I was thinking of. I was thinking of other nations outside the U.S. trying to yeah plant people into you know the big big the big yeah the big like uh, company. Especially uh, Google comes to mind just because they house so much information about everyone. I mean, yeah. that's part of why their forgot password functionality is so. Um, well implemented and, and and like solid is because they have so much information on you that they can they can do quite a bit to just verify you are who you say you are um, versus like you know only having a few data points that most companies might have maybe even a couple so yeah I, and so like and that's only one step removed from what went on with this you know the crypto AG or whatever it is right right. Yep. Uh, it really, it is. So yeah, like you've got the employees that know nothing about it and they're going to, I mean, you would feel, you would feel crappy too, right? I'm working on a security product. I'm trying to like make this as you know efficient as possible and as secure for people. Like I secure the, the world's communications. And then it comes out that, well, you did from everyone, but this one big actor over here that actually paid <laughs> your salary. Right. And so yeah. it's, yeah, I mean, like you would feel pretty devastated. Like I, I can totally understand those guys being like, "Uh, well, I, sorry, right?" Like, it, so it's interesting that that comes out. I mean, I, I know it's it's going to do nothing but stoke the fears of 
you know, the rest of the world about the CIA and the NSA and, you know, other organizations. Um, but like we do the same thing, right? Like I, I know for a fact that there's, you know, there's government organizations in the U.S. that won't purchase products like security products from Israel because it's a yeah. foreign state and they don't trust that, that, you know, that Israel hasn't backdoored those products. Um, it's, it's a valid fear. So, yeah. Well, yeah. after the WhatsApp revelation, man, that, that, that's a real, I mean, I, for those that are listening that don't know what we're talking about, um, effectively, uh, WhatsApp was backdoored. So if, I believe you sent like, I, I don't know what data, maybe it's an image or some whatever to, uh, somebody's phone that's running what WhatsApp it's automatically backdoored and compromised. Like, you know, that, that came out. What was that like? Was that like four months ago or something like that? Yeah. Let's see. Something I'm like sure that. We can pick that up. Wow. This, this episode took a weird turn, but whatever. Well, okay. So like, I and, like and this, goes, this, this goes directly into actually the next story that we've got on our list. Right. So mm. when you are attacked by a foreign entity, by a nation state, how do you respond? Um, and Usually. <laughs> Usually yeah. you're like, eh, you know, what can we do? <laughs> yes. And then, but, you know, the FBI just came out, was it yesterday or the day before with, you know, a, another like, hey, there's these four Chinese nationals that are most wanted. And like, this is the I, Equifax. I, yeah. And it's based on the Equifax breach. Respond with gusto. With gusto, says Ken. <laughs> yes, yes, you are. You are absolutely right. <laughs> but yeah, like the the those four na- uh, you know foreign nationals. Guess what? They're pro. They were probably never coming to the U.S. anyway. No. Right? Um, there's there, there's been a lot of talk, like you know, uh, about like there's the four pictures, the, the four guys, and the one guy is just like a you know a black image, <laughs> right? Like, just a bust. <laughs> the bust the one guy yeah. who has like what was it jerry was saying the one guy who actually knew how to do opsec the rest of them don't oh <laughs> <right? laughs> uh, yeah yeah that's no i think it's it's crazy like to you don't i i have we i don't know that i've seen this before where they've maybe i mean i'm sure there's maybe there i mean i don't know everything that goes on so you know i'm sure this has happened before but it seems like usually when like when um some hacking group claims claims response or, you know, you, it's coming, it's originating from, well, first of all, anytime it's originating from China, it's all, there's always that suspicion that it's just being proxied through China. Um, mm-hmm. So there's that, but then like, uh, yeah, it's usually you don't see them call out individuals, which is like, how did they find it, find out, you know, that's, that's one interesting, um, one interesting detail. I didn't see, uh, listed here or discussed um yeah oh yeah. i don't think there's like yeah they haven't come out and actually said that right i mean it's there's you know chinese pla members right um they said but, they tracked the crimes digital breadcrumbs <laughs> digital breadcrumbs, digital breadcrumbs. <laughs> so it is like we're in an episode of csi got it um yeah, I, I, like they, they haven't released that, and I, I doubt they will. Um, so the question is, right? Like, 
what does this actually do um, as far as feels like a political I, statement more than I, like anything yeah. else. Does it actually make us more secure? Like these people probably like, like they were never going to come to the U S they work for a, like a military organization. Yes. They did attack a consumer like, you know, Equifax like bureau um, or yeah. you know, a business. Um, but again, they're like, a, a, I, 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 I don't get what the thinking is behind this outside of it kind of tips our hand that, Hey, we know that what you did, we know that these people are involved. Um, it's the, it's the whole like idea of a cyber arms race or something like that, I guess, um, that we can well, identify we who your members are. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. Cause we can't go after, I mean, it's like we can go after China, right? The people, people's liberation army or whatever it is. Um, it's not like we can go after the nation itself. It's just, that's yeah. just, it's just not feasible, but uh, this is like the thing that you can do to, to be a pain in their ass, right? Like you can go ahead and have these attacks go on, but know that we're going to call out your people. And um, but at the same time, like you said, does it really affect, I mean, does it really affect those people? I mean, does it, I guess in a way, like it, it would be from now on unsafe to travel for them, for them to travel outside of China and then, uh, possibly they're looking over their backs inside of China. I don't know, but um, I, you know, the Chinese government's like good old pat on the back to them. They don't, they don't give a shit. Like they're not like, you know, oh, wagging their finger. You shouldn't have, uh, no, they, they yeah. sponsored these people to do this. If it's even those folks, right? Like, yeah. 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 I don't know. I mean, like, you know, if it was, they probably got a bonus for what happened and <laughs> you know, like the, that, that, that's the whole point of these state-sponsored hacking groups over there is gathering that data. And I don't know, the fact that the FBI came out and said this really confirms that, you know, the suspicions that I had initially was, hey, we never saw this data show up on the dark web, right? We never did. So it's, it's a nation state that's gathering information about U.S. consumers and U.S. individuals. Um, which like, I mean, it's just confirmation of that, that they yeah. took it to the point that they could dump that much data just so that they could drop it into a big database somewhere and use it in future attacks or for future purposes or something along those lines. Um, so I, like, I, I'm sure there's going to be more that comes out of this, right? There's, there's gotta be more revelations eventually, or it may just disappear. It may they, those guys just may end up on that list for the next for the foreseeable future. And uh, I don't know. I, the, the other thing that's I, you know. Oh man, dude! Yeah. I just realized. So because we had talked about. I'm sorry to interrupt, but just something just dawned on me from reading this article. We had actually talked about. I'm pretty sure on the podcast when the these bre- like especially the. Uh, we're talking about like either Equifax or one of these healthcare breaches. We were talking about the fact that like, what's the value in that data? And I remember specifically us talking about how, how, uh, how it could be used as a way to target people, um, you know, as a means to like uh, compromise an asset, right? Like uh, for, for intelligence gathering purposes. So you compromise essentially like you, you dig up dirt on somebody uh, you compromise that, or you find people that like they're in, you know, economic they have like debt 
for instance, and then you find their weakness and, you know, that's the issue or their kids got some medical condition. Um, it just, it's exploited to it's exploiting, uh, some weakness, um, that somebody might have to like, go ahead and, you know, turn that asset essentially. Right. That That's one of the reasons when you go through a clearance, like you can't have massive debt, you can't have, um, you know, like assets overseas. Like there's all these things, right. They check on anyways. But what's interesting is they actually said this data has economic who's bar. Yeah. So U S attorney general, William Barr said, this data has economic value and these thefts can feed China's development of artificial intelligence tools. Okay. Maybe, but this is the, I mean, maybe, yeah, but as, but the other part is it says as well as the creation of intelligence targeting packages. Yeah. So like for me, that's, that's confirmation that what we were talking about is like a real feasible, it's a real, it's really feasible. It's a, it's a true possibility. Oh, that's a good question. Ken Toller said, uh, oh, you, I, see, I see you responding. wonder if they uh, include student debt. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Because like yeah, that, I mean, anything that weaken that makes somebody alive, like, yeah, like uh, an okay. interesting and asset. So, so, so and to go back into the crypto AG story, right? Like I could right. probably tell, hey, I, like, I don't know. Like it, it's almost like we're getting back from like, you know, software to almost wetware exploits, right? Like right. where like people exploits, because if we can put together enough information like this, then we can take advantage. Hey, guess what? I know that, you know, Ken works at GitHub, right? Works at Microsoft. He has problems with debt, right? And like X, Y, and Z, he's in a, uh, a higher level, like, or a trusted capacity in this organization. Maybe I don't need to go hire somebody on, as a low level employee at Microsoft, I can go to Ken directly, right? Like you're almost creating. Yeah. Like we're, all, well, yeah we're almost seeing that, that, that play out between these two stories, right? The, that the government has done this, like the U S government, the Chinese government, this is the way that they operate. Well, we, they've got the data points for it, right? They have the OPM, the office of personnel management. So they they have the people that are working inside the government. Then they have the healthcare data, that they've, they've, they've stolen. Plus they've got the Equifax data. You have basically all of the, and you know, there's probably countless other breaches that we have not even heard about that were mm-hmm. the hush money paid off, you know, or just like not discussed so that the company doesn't look bad. So you take all those data points together. Yeah. You have a really solid way to target people um, to flip them for your, uh, whatever your gain is, whatever your, your end goal is that's scary, man. That's the one that's like, yeah, that's very, very scary. Yeah. I, um, I mean, yeah. Like we've always said that they would, I, I mean. So do you think, here's another question. Do you think now our government's taking that same data, trying to just trying to formulate who might be likely, likely targets for these um, for, uh, for that? If, if we're not, then it's a weakness that we need to know about, right? Yeah. Like I, I but but that that's the funny thing is I don't know, right? Like if you if they can get a hold of that breach data, um, like a, 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 a foreign government can get a hold of it, but then the companies lock that all up, and the the like our government can't get a hold of it. It's almost like we've got a blind spot there. 
I'm sure they've got other analysis that they run and background checks and other things like that on employees in sensitive locations. Um, but the, you, you don't always run that against third party providers, like, you no. know, people working at uh, Google or some other place like that. Um, you, you trust that they run background checks and they make sure that their people are, you know, whatever qualified to be there, but it's not going to be the same questionnaire. Level. Yeah. It's, it's not the same level of scrutiny. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. Right. Like, I, I mean, I, I trust, well, I, I'm sure that the NSA and the CIA that they're running, you know, their own data analytics on things. Um, but whether or not they're arriving at the same conclusions would be, it's is impossible to say yeah. <laughs> because no one's number one going to admit that they're doing it, even though they are. Uh, and number two, they're not going to share results with each other. Right. <laughs> That's, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. It really is. Crazy. Well, I'm like, Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, and this like what's so on the, the, the positive side of all this, the silver lining and going back to that crypto AG story with the CIA. I do think it's super interesting that like, um, that if that, that it says like essentially that, you know, how, 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 for instance, like signal and various, you know, um, apps that implement crypto to keep you, um, to keep, to keep your privacy, to keep you private, to keep your data private. Sorry. For, for, I'm getting tongue-tied. Um, I think that's interesting that that kind of rendered crypto AG obsolete. Like that's in, that's an interesting sort of take on it. That um, yeah, that like the modern, all these modern apps and all this, all these modern standards are like, and open source is. I would almost say open source, right? Like um, that's really kind of. <laughs> kind of ruining this whole like proprietary crypto devices slash software for a company like crypto AG. Now, whether or not that's true, I don't know. Like maybe that's, yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounded like from that article, it sounded like, I mean, crypto AG had gone away, right? Because they weren't able to sell hardware devices anymore, but there was still portions of the company that had been sucked up by other crypto (laughs) experts or, you know, places that, excuse me, specialized in crypto. So, uh, but then again, right, you see the government so heavily involved with um, cryptographic standards as well, right? So, you know, you got to wonder if there's, I mean, mean, there's experts there, right? Like, you know that there's math geeks in the government that are looking at ways to speed up, you know, yeah, cracking of password hashes, or you know, exposure of keys, or whatever else, right? Um, and you know, the the amount of money that both us and the Chinese throw at those like research institutes, right? I'm sure there's stuff that's going on there that we just don't know about that that you know definitely impacts our privacy. But again, it's a nation state, right? Like, like we would never leave the house if that's all that we thought about. Uh, like realistically, right? We you would you would you would only communicate face to face, and even then, right? Like it just is like this this whole cascade of stuff that you would try to do. 
mm-hmm. to prevent other people from seeing what you're doing. And so that's what that's where it ends up defaulting to. Well, if you don't do anything that's not like bad, then you don't have to worry about it. But yeah. And yeah, but you know, again, it's it's like this so this goes back to the whole discussion we had uh I mean, we've talked about it on the podcast a couple times, but like the fact that people have become so so including myself uh, so comfortable with like, um, you know, like uh, echo devices and Google home and nest cameras and like, <sighs> yeah, but my mom had this speaking of that. My mom had this as an aside, my mom had this, this uh, like cheap camera she had bought from China. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I upgraded her system for her as a present, but uh, yeah, she, she like, like you couldn't even do two factor auth. I was looking at this thing and I'm just like, that thing is definitely like suspect. I would never, where did you get this again? So I like, why would you put this in your house? Uh, made in China. Cool. But, um, but yeah, we've gotten, so we've comfortable with like, well, yeah, I guess that's the thing is like trade the trade off of comfort for, uh, privacy and security. So, um, that is our decision. Uh, but like, our kids are being now indoctrinated into an environment where um, that's normal and they won't think well, twice yeah, about it. Yeah. There's no expectation there of privacy, right? Like yeah. not only that, but they, they, they have a tendency to overshare with, you know, mm. hundreds, if not thousands of people on social media. And like, even yep. if they're, you know, even if they have a private profile on some of those, it's, you know, it's everybody that's in their school or whatever else, right? It's not, so yeah so that expectation of privacy like they just that doesn't exist for them right I, yeah yeah I, and everybody wants to be safe too right you see the the um the pushing for you know like basically anytime anything bad happens the immediate reaction these days is to like you know naturally to 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 want to be safe to give up to basically give up freedoms i've noticed this and i won't get into any like political debates about any certain things but i'll just say that like i've definitely witnessed that where people are trading safety and comfort for uh, personal privacy and freedom and yeah. it's becoming increasingly uh, increasingly normal for folks and um as a you know american um somebody who you know does believe in freedom uh, it's a little bit sometimes uh, concerning and so it's something i've been struggling with is whether or not i want to rip out these devices and explain to my son, you know, uh, you shouldn't trust, uh, you shouldn't trust everybody to just take care of you. And, uh, yeah, you should be a little yeah. concerned about privacy and, um, don't ever trade your freedoms for comfort and safety. Yeah. But that, I, I mean, it also goes into a whole bunch of other things, right? Like, I don't know, there was, it's been a few years, but, um, I mean, you're starting to see this kind of rise of, um, monitoring like i mean you've got like the whole facial recognition thing with things with cameras you've got the whole like ring network of you know cameras that are looking at outside of people's houses and tracking like actual ai that tracks people and faces and tries to identify who they are um and you know at some point i know that they're going to tie in i mean it's similar to you know how nest works right it sees your network in your house and it doesn't notify you of motion. Mm -hmm. But the second that you leave, it flips all that stuff on. Mm -hmm. Uh, So at that point you're trusting 
Google to know where yep. you're at at any given time to, you know, for convenience. Where your habits are, what you're yeah. doing when you're home. Yep. And so uh, at that point, they, they not only have like, oh, okay, I've got facial recognition for this person coming in and out of the house and the cameras that are on them, but I have an electric sig electronic signature for them as well. So at what point yeah. does like Google, you know, with Google Wi-Fi start to tie that into a, hey, guess what? We've got, you know, this network that is, you know, spread out all over the city. We can just track wherever you go, right? And we already yeah. have the device and you already are giving that to AT&T or whoever your cell phone provider is. But this, this whole like surveillance state is, I mean, it's already here. In a lot of right, places. it's already here. Yeah, it's 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 just not in the the form of obvious government, right? Like it's not like obviously the government. It's it's big companies. Yeah, and and these big companies like suck up you know other small companies that are making innovations in different spaces. Yeah, I, I like it's yeah yeah we we've taken a really weird weird turn this week. <laughs> but I don't care. It's you know, I know. <laughs> supposedly it's our, it's our podcast. So yeah. Suppo alleged we should call it change this to the allegedly AppSec podcast. Allegedly AppSec. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Maybe okay that'll me. be the title of this week. Allegedly AppSec. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean I, I try to tie I always try to tie that back to a you know day-to-day -day basis. and I, I I mean I know that Google no longer has the what do no evil or whatever um, motto that they used to. Right. Yeah. But like it, it's difficult because I, I, you know, okay. So I run hacker, you know, I, I run hacker tracker for right. DEFCON. Right. And so I like, there's a, there's a modicum of trust that goes along with that, that anybody that installs that, um, I mean, you know, especially the first couple of years, the only place that it was useful was at DEFCON. Right. So if you're installing that application, most likely you are at DEF CON and you're involved in that community at some level, right? Like there's there's a whole bunch that goes along with that. Now, it doesn't mean that you couldn't actually go to DEF CON and monitor electronic signatures anyway, or you know, right. AT&T and Verizon and T-Mobile, they all know that you're there as it is. Um, but you know, having something installed on those devices, like I can see like the temptation to, hey, take advantage of that in some way, right? Like it would right. be easy to actually, hey, like who is it that's there? Oh, I'm just running analytics. I'm actually seeing like what kind of devices these people have, where else they have been, right? That kind of thing would be like, it's a slippery slope. Um, and it's actually a discussion that I've been having with the other guys that build Hacker Tracker. I was like, huh, I don't know if we want to go this direction. Like, I don't know if we want to keep this level of data and have this constant interaction with like the, the Google Firebase on the back end because Firebase is now owned by Google, right? And so at that point, right, like do we roll back and give up some of those convenience features that we have as developers for, for privacy? And like, and I'm sure that the DEF CON crowd and the EFF crowd is gonna say yes, right? Like yeah, absolutely, I'm sure, know. yeah. Yeah, and so like that's that's probably the direction that we're going, that we will end up going. But on the flip side, I'm like, man, but do you understand how easy this makes my life to actually provide you with a service, right? right. Um, it, because it's the things that you want to see. It's the, you know, it's the data updates. It's the, 
know, hey, you're just trying to navigate a conference and you want to be able to know that this event changed from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. or whatever it is, right? It it makes your life easier. It makes my life easier. If I don't have to develop the whole backend infrastructure for that, um, but you give up a modicum of privacy when you do that. So, oh, 100%. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, that's, that's the, uh, yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's the trade off, man. That's like that, that, you know, bringing it back to AppSec, that's what one of the things that, um, is so appealing about including a library to get your app to do something. Like if you want to OAuth to, or SAML to some external provider to like sh have your users share something on social media or whatever the case is, what are you going to do? You're going to go for the language that you're building in and you're going to find a library and you're going to read the readme and implement it. And I mean, it, he, you're trusting that code's safe and that, that code's secure. Well, you're hoping that code's safe and secure, right? And it's yeah. not backdoor, that it's not purposefully built, you know, Again, the paranoia tinfoil hat piece there. Uh, but that is like the way it goes with when, when building apps. Most likely you're going to go look at whatever libraries are popular. Um, Ron Paris last week was talking about uh, uh, Linus's quote about, you know, having a bunch of eyes on, uh, um, the more eyes on software, essentially, the more likely that bugs are to be uncovered. Um, yeah, versus like writing that entire library yourself. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a convenience thing as a developer, right? Like we use frameworks, we use platforms. And okay, so this again goes back to the whole crypto AG thing, right? Like, <laughs> you know, that was a physical manifestation of a crypto library. That's all that it was. So like, who's not to say that there is, there isn't an OAuth library out there for Node or for JavaScript that is, you know, built by the NSA or a division of the NSA or someone that works for the NSA that just happens to like push things out and like I don't I don't think we do enough analysis on that. We trust it because it has what 500 stars on GitHub and it's the most popular repository or it has the that one feature that we wanted to use. Um, so it's not just services like VPNs and you know chat software that like we're probably worried about. It's it, I'm. <sighs> The, the government knows how stuff is built, right? Like they employ people that build software just like any other large organization does. And they're gonna be analysts. They're gonna be looking at ways to take advantage of that so they can get the information that they want just like they did with the crypto AG. So, yeah. It's a real weird world we're living in. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is, it, it is strange, right? And uh, like, I mean, most of the time that we deal with those third-party libraries as developers, it's more about like reliability and feature set than anything else. But we don't necessarily dig into security, right? Like we just don't. Um, you know, we we keep it up to date. We see the CVs as they pop up, and you know, maybe somebody goes in and analyzes it because they, you know, Ron, those guys, they work for NPM, and they see, hey, this is becoming very popular. Maybe they go look at that software to make sure that it's not sending something off somewhere else. They're looking at the metadata around it, that kind of thing um, to, to try and keep people safe. But realistically, when it comes down to your software and you know 95 or 97% of it is something that you didn't write, there's probably pieces in there that aren't what you intend. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's this, Ken Toller's quote is hilarious. So I'm going to read it. He said, application libraries are like the party in college you had when you invited two of your closest friends and ended up with a thousand people in a five by five dorm room and more problems than you can handle in a four hour period. Pretty much the most exact description of the state of library usage in modern web applications that I've ever seen. So. Yeah, no, it, 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 it's absolutely right. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a it's a popular yeah it's a popularity contest right like how how many times by the way okay. if you have five hundred stars on GitHub you're safe if you are safe trust yes. me no Ken Ken knows he's looked at all all of the projects that have five hundred stars and above um, if you have four hundred ninety nine stars you're shit but if you have yeah. five hundred no I'm kidding obviously. No, like, okay, so, and then this goes back to, other, uh, like, okay, the left pad, right, like, you know, that that issue that came up where the guy pulled left pad from NPM and it broke all this software, okay, but, like, that's one thing, like, hey, really, you could have coded that yourself, but, and, and, and I realize that we can say that about anything, but that highlights the issue that we have that it's not about functional software, it's about popular software, right? It's about popular libraries. So if you're the first one to offer up an OAuth library for say Go, right? Most likely you're gonna be the most popular OAuth software for Go forever because people will use you as long as it's functional and it works, people will use you. So even if somebody comes and re-implements it in a better, more secure way, most likely the projects are going to keep using that old version because it's the one that they've used and it's the one that's most popular rather than, hey, it, it provides the best feature set, or it provides the most secure implementation, whatever else that you want to talk about. Yeah, which yeah. is why Adam Baldwin and, and Ron Paris were talking about, you know, because um, Adam Baldwin had a tweet about this. Um, gosh, what was it? I'm trying to find it. Sorry, just okay. Yeah, so Adam said security reviews of open source projects are valid contributions, just like documentation. Um, so, like, uh, well, there's more to it. He said, if you review something and don't find anything, reaching out to the maintainers to let them know is also valuable. But that first part, the security reviews of open source projects are valid contributions. Absolutely, more power to that. Like, that's what we that's the whole point of open source, right? I mean you should be able to look at the source and make things better um, and tweak it as needed and have transparency. Like I think the transparency is the big part of that. So uh, if we could leave anybody with anything, it would be um, get out there and yeah, take Seth's approach, find the popular one, the one that's been around for a long time and then look at it. And if you find anything, let the maintainers know. Yeah. Well, and uh, honestly, let's that, that this, this, this workshop that we're going to run at B sides, right? Like that's what I'm hoping that we get out of that is um, like, we're going to look at some open source software and find some shit and actually report it back and, yeah. and start and start instigating a change there. Um, Cause that's I, like, that was the whole, that's the whole philosophy behind open source. But if, if you've ever run an open source project, you know that there is like, there's only a handful of open source projects that get any sort of outside help, right? It's typically mm -hmm. the maintainer and that's it. Yep. Um, I've been the, and yeah, the, I've been the, the, the very 
sad person on that end for many projects. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we all have, right? Um, and that was that was where what was it Hunter.dev, right? They're trying to change that a little bit. Uh, that's not it. What's the name of it? There's that new uh, bounty site that's basically, um, isn't that what it's called? Hunter.dev or something like that? Yeah, uh, crap, I can't yeah, but it, it, it's basically that's basically the idea is they 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 put out bounties for features and security issues in open source projects, and a developer can go and claim that bounty, fix the code, and get paid for it, right? Um, but that that premise is all built on the fact that those those issues are known in that software, right? So it's not necessarily we're finding new bugs; we're actually just going in and fixing the ones that that are already known. Did you find that? Hunter.io. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Okay. I'll post that link. If I can find the right screen to post it in. Too many tabs. Maybe it is. Hunter lets you find Dang email it. addresses in seconds and connect with people that matter for your business. No, that's not it. <laughs> no, it's not it? No. Find email. Oh God, that's what happens when you don't when you don't read. Oh gosh, let me see if I can remove this. I could put my user in a timeout, but I can't remove this. Oh really? It on yeah, on the just put ignore. Actually, on I there. think I can, I can remove it. I retracted cool. it. Very cool. Thanks. Nice try. He was trying to social engineer us there. I know, <laughs> I, right? He did put a question mark. You're right. We'll find it. We'll post the link to it. Um, and what was the point that I was trying to make? Like that. Now I'm. Gosh. Yeah. Um, but okay. So the point that I was trying to make uh, was that. Like, that's probably a better use of our time, right? You know, if we can, it's just the fact that it's probably not a, not necessarily paid, right? The, that's the difficult thing. It's better to find the exploits, go actually exploit them across, you know, hey, you do find a popular library that's used by, you know, most new startups. They probably have a bug bounty that's associated with them. Right. If you find a bug that's in that software, you can probably go through and actually make some money that way by exploiting whatever bug it is that you actually find. Um, but that's taking into account that it's exploitable, right? And that's not always going to be the case with bugs that you find when you're looking at source code. It's going to take, uh, yeah. There, there, there's usually ninety percent of the bugs that I see in source probably aren't fully exploitable even though it's going to take some conditions or something else has to happen or input validation on the front end has to be broken in this way to actually exploit, right? So it becomes more of a reliability issue than it does a security issue. So at that point, is it really a bug? Do they even care if you're going to report it or not? Um, because it can, you know, it, it takes some enterprising bug bounty person to actually figure out how it, it can be exploited and taken advantage advantage of or if it's been inserted in there by someone that's trying to do a backdoor right? anyway i'm kind of ranting you know it's the nihilist in me coming out that everything's you know the worst so 
I'm fine with it. Yeah, yeah, I know you are. Where's Stephen like when we need him, you know? Oh, He's off saying we, some words I can't understand. We didn't even talk about Shadow. <laughs> and the Shadow. App, the app from the Iowa uh-huh. caucus. Oh, God. How do we miss that? Oh, well, tell you what. Let's put that on the back burner for the next. Because we, we're trying to schedule in. Because actually, I got feedback that people like the ones that are just us as well. Um, so I'm trying to schedule... Yeah, we've got so, but we've got like uh, one, two, three, four, five. Hey, we got five, uh, five weeks of guests. So, yeah, maybe on the sixth week we talk about this. I don't know. Maybe we just bring it up casually. Maybe we just bring it up casually in the one of the next, uh, uh, like set that up for as a talking point for one of our guests, or we cover yeah. that. I, I think I'm right. I think it is Hunter H U N T R dot Dev. Just not, maybe it's down. Yeah, I'm getting a resolution on it, but it, I know I, I think the system that I'm at, I like had redirected dev sites at one point. So that might be my own issue. Oh, yeah, I've done that before. Yeah. I'll figure it out. I can put it in the yeah. show notes. It's the first bug bounty board for securing open source code, right? It is hunter.dev and huntr.dev. Um, it doesn't work for me, and I would bet it's the same thing. I think I did some like hacky work around for .dev at some point. Yep. yep. So, so I see. I'm, I'm going to throw it up there, though. <laughs> that. Yeah. So you should, if you haven't looked at it, you should check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it's it, it's an interesting, interesting take, right? Like, hey, there's vulnerabilities that's out there that are out there in open source code. You know, go get paid for them. Uh, the, the issue that I have is I look at it and I'm like, look, you're paying twenty five bucks, right, to fix a vulnerability, um, like. It, it, yeah, a, a vulnerability that you just paid a bug bounty person, you know, you know five, six hundred bucks to find. I, I, like, I, I feel like the economics are still off a little bit there, uh, but maybe not, right? Like if they're doing proper, you know, scoping of how much time it takes to actually fix those vulnerabilities, it could be interesting. So I like, I want to dig into that one a little bit more at some, pay, some point. But um, So you were talking about upcoming episodes. Sounds like we've got guests lined up for, you know, Fair, fair bit. Uh, you know, at some point we may actually just start, you know, pulling off a half hour here and there to record another episode. If there's something super interesting, we could do that. Just depends on the timeline um, and what you and I have going on. We know who we have next week. Who do we have next week? David Lindner. David Lindner. Oh, we can talk about, ooh, we can definitely talk about Shadow then. Because I, I know he... He's from Iowa. Yeah, he's from Iowa, but he got a copy of the APK and actually like they pulled it apart and yeah, there's some, there's some good juicy stuff there. So let's talk about that. Um, I mean, you know, and I almost want to pull like Kevin Cody in as well to talk through it. Uh, We haven't seen or talked to Kevin for a while either, but um, yeah, there's all sorts of crazy that's going on with that as well. So uh, there's a lot going on. So you got to stay safe out there. Right. 
Just don't use the internet and you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. Write, you know, send Stop me an email. Show and, and get offline. Yeah, I'll send you a tinfoil hat. Um, you know, it, it, yeah. 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 We do have a pretty awesome lineup for the next five weeks. But yeah, we, we can definitely uh, all reach out to Dave and, and have him prepped and primed for that talking point next week. Yeah, that'll be fun. Sweet. Um, and by prepped and primed, yeah. I'm going to say we're going to talk about this next week. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Sweet. Um, well, yeah, we've been going for an hour. I mean, I know you and I can talk for hours if we need to, um, but yeah. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff going on. Um, please reach out to us if you've been on the this, this show and don't have a shirt or any swag left yet. Oh, yeah. uh, we have we have new swag. Um, we'll send it to you. Um, please come up if you if you're going to be in San Francisco for B sides or that other conference that's there. Uh, let me know. Love to meet up with people and say hi. Um, and yeah, jump into the Slack channel. Uh, let us know what you think of the episodes or if you've got other topics that you want us to address, uh, we'd love to do that or ping us on Twitter. Dope. Dope. Fun times. Right. Yeah. Thanks everybody. Later. Bye.